Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Naftal Benesti, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 38, Nutrition with Dr. Jennifer Lee. And today it's June 5th, 2023. On May 18th, 2023, I spoke to Dr. Jennifer Lee. After earning a doctorate in psychology, Jennifer Lee became a coach. Jennifer's career stopped when the benzodiazepine she took as prescribed damaged her brain. She blogged honestly about her ordeal, sharing her experience with others. Recovered, she helps people worldwide who are in benzo withdrawal and bind. Support their caregivers and educates healthcare workers about benzodiazepines and how to treat their patients experiencing withdrawal and bind. Jennifer also helps people avoid getting on dangerous psych meds by teaching them how to overcome anxiety and worry. Hi, Dr. Jen. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, good morning. Um, happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. So could you share with the audience a little bit about your benzo journey? Ah, yes. <laughs> my benzo journey. Uh, my first benzo journey was when I was 21 and I had back surgery. I had scoliosis and I had two steel rods put in my back. My back was fused together and I was having uh, really bad monoclonic jerking and all sorts of issues. So they put me on Valium, Percocet and Soma. And I stayed on that for a bit. I was in the body cast for about seven months and I stayed on that regime of medication for a while, not the entire time, but a while. And then they just stopped and I went into fluorid benzo withdrawal and I didn't know it. I thought I had, I really thought I had had a nervous breakdown. I started working with a therapist. I was anxious all the time, couldn't sleep, agoraphobia, monophobia. It, it, I just really thought that, I don't know. I just thought I had a nervous breakdown, got through that. Fast forward to my mid thirties, um, had four children in less than four years. I had identical twins, the last pregnancy, and it was a difficult pregnancy and it started triggering things. And I started having flashbacks to my sexual abuse at the hands of a pedophile in my neighborhood when I was six, which set me up for a lot of other types of horrific things happening. So I came unraveled and started having really bad anxiety, really bad panic. I was in a very emotionally abusive marriage, decided to leave that marriage with my four children. And it was pretty brutal and just couldn't deal with the flashbacks, the panic and saw a psychiatrist and he put me on clonazepam. Two milligrams said it was a baby dose. That was Whoa. not a baby dose. That was your initial <laughs> right? dose. Your initial dose was two, was two milligrams of clonopin. Yes. And would you like to hear my diagnosis? Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Diagnosis was I have a bad brain. Oh I will never God. forget that. Those were the words out of his mouth. I have a bad brain, and gave me the whole song and dances. So many of us have heard that I need a benzodiazepine just like a diabetic needs their insulin. I'll take it the rest of my life. Blah blah blah. Right. So, yeah. How did, you, how did you react on the clonopin? Oh, I was so drugged up. I was so tired. I was pretty much a zombie, but I wasn't anxious anymore. <laughs> I mean, it it it's 
it's effective for anxiety. I mean, it really, it, I just thought it was the best thing in the world. And I just got used to the tired. I took a half a milligram in the morning, a half in the afternoon and a milligram at night to sleep. Right. Uh, and stayed on that dose for nine years, took it as prescribed. My doctor also told me I could have a, you know, a cocktail or so. And I was going through a divorce. I was dating. I was, I, every once in a while I did some stand up comedy in San Francisco. And of course the bar scene was, you know, drinking like a fish <laughs> on top of the clonazepam. So it affected me in that I was not myself. I was, I had no filter. I had no inhibition. I wasn't doing anything illegal. I wasn't breaking the law, but I was certainly acting out of character for myself. And uh, I, yeah, didn't know that it was the benzo and probably the alcohol, of course, you know, was a catalyst for even more inhibition. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, nine years in, moved, got my kids out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Life was, you know, past the divorce, life was looking pretty good. And so I stopped taking, I stopped taking the benzo. I, I don't know how I knew to kind of taper. I stopped a morning dose which of course wasn't a regular <laughs> good taper, but stop mm. the morning dose, stop the afternoon dose, and then finally stop the evening dose. And 72 hours later, I was in horrific withdrawal. I mean, horrific withdrawal. Didn't know what was happening to me. Thought I, I was like hallucinating, DPDR, couldn't sleep. Uh, so called a therapist that I'd worked with and he convinced me it was an indication that I needed to be on the medication. So I reinstated back to one milligram that I took at night and I stayed on that for about another nine years in and in and out of doctor's office, uh, not knowing why my health was deteriorating. I developed IBS. I got uh, uh exercise intolerance. Like I could just climb two stairs and my heart would just be racing. My memory was off. I just never felt well. I never felt well. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue, diagnosed with IBS. And then one of my favorite diagnoses was um, a doctor actually said, you're just a hysterical housewife. <laughs> what? Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. So I have a bad brain and apparently I'm a hysterical housewife. Oh my so goodness. Oh my goodness. Nobody, nobody ever said, Hey, see, see this clonazepam that you've been taking for way too long. Uh, that's what's causing all these issues. Right. Uh, right. Fast forward to, I'm now drinking on a very regular basis and had been for years, partly because I was only taking my one dose at night before I went to bed. And so about four or five in the afternoon, I'd start feeling interdose withdrawal and get real shaky, didn't feel well. And a couple of glasses of wine or more really soothed that. Now, I can't blame my drinking on a benzo because I know in my heart, I am definitely an alcoholic. I've got 12 years of sobriety. I went to AA. I've been sober. I, I, I Thanks. I will stay sober the rest of my life. I do know that I'll never hurt those receptors again. But that's, that's what started my second withdrawal was um, I wanted to get sober. I, I was just spending way too much in bed in, in the mornings, hung over, not feeling well because the alcohol wasn't making, you know, the benzo stuff any better. So I went to AA and stopped drinking. And I don't know, a few days after that, talked to a doctor and said, I want to get off these pills. 
And he told me to cut a quarter of the pill each week, just like he would tell somebody to get off of, you know, a pain med. Uh, and it might work for that, but that's just a terrible, terrible recipe for disaster yep. uh, in the benzo, as you very well know, you know, because you're always talking about tapering, you know, you're an expert there. So by eight days, I was off of a half a milligram. And within those eight days, the wheels of the wagon came off. And I never really regained my footing after that. I I went down to point three something because after a half a milligram, I started doing a water titration, but I was bedridden, horrific panic, terror, shaking, you know, cog fog, memory impairment, literally was so weak I could barely get out of bed. And so another expert that I talked to said, go back up until you get stable. So I tapered back up to 0.9. I could get out of bed and I could function. I still wasn't well, but I was better. And I knew I was going in the wrong direction. So another expert told me, you know, I, well, I went down more slowly and I got down to 0.6, like two, five, three, five, four, five. I can't remember the dose, but I was walking with a cane and very, very weak and still sick. And I, 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 I was worse at that dose than I was in the point threes because of, you know, the phenomenon called kindling that we're yep. so aware of in the community. And saw another expert who uh, is an addiction specialist and he gave me phenobarbital, told me I was on such a low dose that it had no, you know, no effect on me. It was not doing anything for me. And I could detox at home. He said, in a few days, you're going to feel so good. And I, after eight months of, of being sick in this, you know, taper up and down and all over the place, I so desperately wanted to believe him. Mm -hmm. So I did. I, that was my last pill. That was Jan, uh, June 22nd, 2011. And I took the phenobarbital and 72 hours later, a friend had to rush me to the emergency room. I could barely walk. It was horrendous. And I was admitted for a week, hallucinating out of my mind of fear, terror, burning skin, hyperacusis. I could, oh, I mean, I really don't like to share everything in gory detail because I think it can be so triggering for people listening. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to avoid that. Just suffice it to say, it was truly the most hellish experience. Stephen King could not come up with something as awful. Mm -hmm. And after a week, they sent me home and um, I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't reinstate and I wouldn't end my life. And there were times when both of those promises were really difficult to hold on to, but they got me through. And I... I finally tapered off. They kept increasing the phenobarbital while I was in the hospital. The doctor kept saying, I've never seen anybody react like this. Like I was some outlier, right? right. Like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And I would go and see him once a week and I'd tell him all my symptoms and whatnot. And he'd say, well, I'm going to give you gabapentin. I said, no, no, no. You know, that's, um, you know, contraindicated for benzo withdrawal. And I would just, I really had to be an advocate for myself. Thank goodness I had educated myself. And I remember him saying on more than one occasion, this is the expert now, mind you. He said, Jennifer, you know more about benzo withdrawal than I do. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and you, you, did, you do. You do. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it took me many years to recover. That doesn't mean that I was suffering all that time. I did have a setback at three years off. 
and a very unexpected, and I know this scares people to hear, I had a very unexpected setback at six years. I now kind of see all the triggers that possibly could have led up to that. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't take any other meds. I mean, like, seriously, you'd be hard pressed to find Tylenol in my medicine cabinet. Like I am uh -huh. so afraid of drugs or leery, I should say, mindful of drugs. But I did have those two setbacks, which is not the common uh, recovery process. So I just want, if anybody listening, please don't let my story frighten you. It's my story. It's not your story. And most people don't have setbacks. And I certainly teach my clients and everybody in my support group, here's how you can safeguard yourself from setbacks. But I had one and it took me a while to recover, but finally I did. And now looking back, I know it's really hard to believe this. I'm grateful for going through benzo withdrawal. It gave me the opportunity to absolutely have to heal all that needed to be healed because it wasn't just GABA receptors and any other type of dysregulation in my brain and nervous system that needed to be healed. I needed to heal from my childhood abuse, from so many things that were keeping me from my highest and best potential. And so I focused on those four cornerstones of well-being. Once I discovered them, I was more at the end of my recovery process and I embraced them with everything that I have. And to this day, they are what keep me healthy and happy. And I'm on the other side. I have a joyous, happy, juicy, delicious, fulfilling, wonderful, magnificent life. There's not enough positive adjective to describe my life now, especially when I look back in my 30s and 40s and um and just how much i drank and how emotionally insecure i was uh you know trying to raise kids on my own and not not having healed from all my damage and just the way i behaved and the way i thought and also all some a lot of that being fueled you know by being on a benzo too so right. i'm in the best place ever and i want people to really hear that that's the message we eventually get well. And if we really embrace those four corner zones of well-being that are there for every and any human being at all stages of life, uh -huh. that we really go on to live our highest and best. So that's that's my journey in a nutshell. And along the way, I started because I had a career as a coach. I got my doctorate in my mid-40s and I was on radio and TV interviewed by top tier media. I had a book on the market. I was doing this very unique type of coaching. I was kind of the thought leader in that field. It was raising teen girls and um, had this beautiful career that was just getting started, uh, being vetted for my own reality show. And my brain fell apart in withdrawal and couldn't work, couldn't work for a long, long, long time. And, but I blogged, I just, that's what I do. And, and I'm a writer. And so along the way, I just started being a part of this community and it just evolved into me being who I am. I'm Dr. Jen, a health and wellness coach, and I specialize in benzo withdrawal. And I, somebody had said, when you get your doctorate and all your postdoctorate studies, you're, you know, you're going to be a benzo coach. I, I would have like laughed. I, my career found me. I didn't find it. So I just kept blogging and it just evolved into me being a passionate, passionate, driven 
um, part of this community to help reduce suffering. And, and how many people do you think that you've um, guided so far? Thousands. Wow. Thousands. That's amazing. Well, I've, on behalf of the community, thank you for that. You're very welcome. I, and I, I feel so humble to be able to do this. I, I really truly do. I'm, I'm always touched when people let me into their lives and trust me enough to tell me who they really are, you know, and to be vulnerable and transparent and honest. I'm deeply touched by them. And people are always saying, you know, you, you've helped me so much. And I think what people don't understand is everybody that I've touched, everybody I've talked to has helped me, helped me to grow my compassion, you know, my sense of being in place in the community, in the world, in, in creation. So it's a two-way street and I'm deeply honored and grateful that I get to do this work. Yeah. And, and tell me a little bit about your book, Hen, because I came across oh. it. I came across <laughs> it and I was just very eager to learn more about it. Oh, you're so sweet to ask. So at my six year set, well, let me back up. When I was eight, eight, I think I won my first writing award. Uh, I won a 50 or a hundred dollar, uh, treasury bond, a T-bill. Way back then, I, I won a contest. And I knew in my heart I was going to grow up to be a writer. I, I told my family at a uh, family reunion, I'm going to grow up, live in the mountains and be a writer and write books that help people. And what's interesting that back when I said that way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, that there was no such thing as, you know, self-help genre. But uh -huh. I just knew in my heart that's what that was my contract with whatever's greater than myself, God, creation, whatever word you like. And, and I've written, I, you know, I've got a couple of, um, I've, I've got a couple of two books. They're called soul reminders. They're little conversations with God. And, and, and I had a book of listening skills and I've got another listening skills book. So I've written books that help people, but I always wanted to write a novel. So it's six years in my setback, close your eyes and picture this. I am living on a twin mattress on my in my front room uh, of my of my duplex and i've got a bucket next to the mattress so when i need to pee i can just get up and squat over it because uh -huh. getting up was i just had pot so bad it was just so awful uh and i had all these other symptoms and i just didn't know what to do with myself and i couldn't really garden like i used to to hold on so i said i'm gonna write my novel and so I grabbed my laptop and I propped myself up and I started writing and it just poured out of me the story. Some of it is my story. Uh, I, you know, I think we, we write what we know, but I fell in love with these characters and I didn't plot out the beginning, middle and end every day. I would just ask my characters, what do you want me to say now? What, what's, what's the rest of your story? Talk to me, tell me, tell me the story. And so I, I, over many weeks, I wrote this short novel and there were times when I would write like 2000 words, 3000 words, cause I'd write all day. It really, it just kept me so focused. And then I'd go, no, you know, I really don't think that's what the characters want. And I would just delete all of that. And that was some of the hardest writing was, you know, cause I'd spent all this time and I thought the story's supposed to go this way. I go, no, that's really not true. So I had to really listen and, 
and just really show up for this story. And eventually I wrote it and then I just let it sit for a few years. I really didn't know what to do with it. It still needed some editing and I'll always be grateful. Matt Samet, who wrote the book Death Grip, A Climber's Escape from Benzo Madness. Mm -hmm. He is such a talented writer. And I sent it to him and he did some editing and, and gave me some ideas. And, and then I still let it sit on the shelf for a while. And a year and a half or so ago, um, my mother's birthday, she's in her nineties. And I, I, I didn't want her to pass before holding a copy of my novel in her hand. So I self-published on Amazon and I'm not, I haven't, you're the first person that I've, I think I've spoken about it too publicly. I have not promoted it. I'm going to, at some point, uh, a woman, one of my client's sisters, I had met her so she could support her sister going through Ben's withdrawal, just read it. And, and last night, uh, texted me saying how much she thinks the story will be helpful and, and help women in particular heal, especially those of us that were growing up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So it's a story, but it's got, you know, I'm all about healing and reducing suffering in the world. So it's a story that is, I think, quite moving. I can't read the end page um, without my heartstrings getting tugged. So I'm, I'm hoping one day that that uh, more women in particular will read it. So thanks for asking. It was a journey and it kept me grounded at and also, one like of my said, worst times in Benza withdrawal. Yeah, like you said, you're like bedridden and you just got the laptop and, and did it. You know, isn't that amazing? Like at my sickest, I was creating this podcast series. So beautiful right. things can come out of, you know, those times. So one of the things that I found when I was doing my research, as you will, I came across your work and I, I noticed that you did um, a lot of research um, about nutrition. And that was really something that I wanted to touch on on my podcast series, hadn't done so yet. I was like, if, I'm, if I am going to talk about it, I want to talk to an expert or someone who has studied it somehow. Um, could you tell the audience how that came into your life, this whole nutrition part? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I was just, I think I've always eaten fairly healthy, uh, lots of vegetables and fruit, lots of whole foods, but I was definitely like most of us, an omnivore. And I was known for my roasted chickens and my beef stews. Um, and one, the first Monday in June, four years ago, so I'm coming up on my four year anniversary here, I woke up. And whatever is greater than myself, I don't know how other people kind of get like divine inspiration. I don't know how it, how it comes to them, but I've had it happen in my life enough times where I know I need to be quiet and listen and be obedient. And I just woke up one morning and I will never forget. I just kind of heard, you know, metaphorically, you're done eating animals. Those were the exact words because I remember going, wait, what? It sounds like I'm done eating animals. And, and that was that. And I got up that day and got everything that came out of an animal, egg, butter, yogurt, cheese, you know, anything, flesh, everything that had any animal product in it, dressings, everything, mayonnaise. 
put it in a big black trash bag and it was really heavy and I threw it all away and I never looked back. And the first few weeks, months, I just kept asking myself how do vegans function in the world? All I did was fart and poop all day long. <laughs> My, I mean, it, I mean, like, like a cartoon. It, it was, it was, I mean, it was just, oh, anyway. But after a while, my gut microbiome, and by the way, I never suggest anybody go cold turkey into it the way I did, unless you're willing to put up with your gut microbiome, taking some time to figure it out. It's much easier to transition. Um, but my gut microbiome uh, healed and and loved loved all the fiber and a chronic digestive issue that I'd had most of my life completely went away. I was so shocked. I always thought that it was just genetics. It was just something that I had to cope with because my mother and my sister dealt with it too. Uh, but, and, and then when my sister, she's now whole food plant-based as well, uh, it, hers went away as well. So that happened. My chronic off and on nerve pain went away. I had what I describe as this lightness of being, which I've heard from other people that go plant-based. It's really hard to describe other than that but it was wonderful. And I just knew in my heart, I would stay this way. Now, I first thought that I had gone vegan as an ethical vegan for the animals. But what I didn't understand at that time was all the health benefits. And that after a while was when I started doing more research. I got really curious and I eventually uh, got certified in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University. That does not mean I'm a certified nutritionist. It's kind of the overview and the history and the health benefits. But I, it wasn't like if you've got this, you should eat cabbage or, you know, so it wasn't that detailed. Mm -hmm. But I, I did get certified. And then I did a seven-week gut microbiome course with doc, uh, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Highly recommend that. And he's got lots of courses. He's got courses on histamine intolerance and um, heartburn, you know, GERD, all sorts of things. So, and his website is um, Plant Fed Gut and highly recommend that you get his book and maybe take some courses. But what I discovered, and I know there's a lot of controversy because I'm saying whole food plant-based and I know there are other people in the community that are saying keto, carnivore, you know, and I'm just going to present what I know. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm certainly not here to debate anybody. I just don't have the time for that. Everybody gets to look at the research and then make their own decisions. So everything that I have researched shows that it is the plant fiber that heals the gut microbiome because that's what it survives on. In fact, there, um, there are certain things that we can eat that are more beneficial than others. Um, like there's like red cabbage helps the, the mucosal lining of the gut to help improve leaky gut because eventually um, if we've got gut dysbiosis and we get there lots of different ways, uh, the gut lining, they're called tight junctions and they rupture. And so then all the bad bacteria that's fermenting and doing all the stuff in our gut leaks out into our bloodstream. And now we know, this is so interesting, we now know that the brain has those exact same tight junctions. So they can rupture and bad things cross over into the brain, it looks like. So 
we're designed to eat plants. Um, you know, you don't, you don't hear of people saying, oh, I know I need to cut back on my broccoli, but yet you'll hear people say, you know, I should stop eating red meat. So I'll just say this. If you really think about it, it makes sense. And it makes sense because of a couple of things. Um, one, we don't have a prey drive. We don't have an instinct to go and end an animal's life and eat it there on the spot. What we have is learned behavior. You go to the grocery store, you get a slab of flesh, you bring it home and you cook it. Right. So we, we don't have a prey drive. In fact, this morning when I woke up, uh, somebody had sent me this sweet little video of a man saving a little baby deer from a flood. Like that's oh, what we that. do. That's that. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we are designed to do. We're designed to protect and nurture other life. And so no other animal that's an omnivore or carnivore really truly does that. They see everything as their food. So it's kind of schizophrenic in a way that we have these petting zoos, you know, where we go and pet all the babies. <laughs> right. But 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 then but then, you know, buy their flesh in the market. Anyway, so we don't have a prey drive. It's not our instinct. And we're the only species that if we eat things from other animals, it will make us sick or even kill us. Eggs have to be cooked. A dairy needs to be pasteurized. Flesh needs to be cooked or it can be bad, you know, really cause a lot of damage. So when you look at it, we are designed to eat plants. If you look at how we are, our digestive system, you know, we start digesting in our mouth. If you look at our teeth, I know people go, oh, we have these, we have these, you know, canine teeth. No, our, our teeth are designed for, for biting into hard, you know, fruits and vegetables. You can't just look at canine teeth because one of the most herbaceous animals is this, this sweet little deer. And it's got these long, long, long fangs. Yeah. So we're not, there's nothing about us, our speed, our agility. We don't have claws. We don't have teeth you know, to devour another animal where we just really are <laughs> not omnivores. Right. And we are much better off if we stick with a whole food plant-based diet. I'm not saying a vegan diet because there are a lot of unhealthy vegans, vegans that are just uh, ethical vegans. They'll eat, you know, potato chips and and they'll eat a lot of processed foods and fake meats. You know, every once in a while, those those are okay. But I'm talking about a whole food plant-based diet. You want to bring the food in the way it was grown in the field. It's the only diet, the only diet that has been clinically proven to reverse heart disease, some cancers, autoimmune disorders, type two diabetes, you know, heal the gut. It's amazing what happens when we eat the way that our body is designed you know, that we eat the food that our body is designed to eat. So yeah, that's, I, I think that's for, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for me, cause I'm in withdrawal myself, uh, what I've noticed because I had, I mean, I've never had GI issues until I started tapering my benzodiazepines. Um, so that was the first time that happened to me. And I had, I had benzo belly and very gassy and all those things. And I've noticed throughout this journey of withdrawal that processed foods really trigger that. So all the, the chemicals that are added, um, 
so I did switch to Whole Foods as much as I could or can. I, basically, I can. Um, if I make a mistake and I eat a bag of potato chips, I'll just immediately know my GI will be triggered. So that is something that I want to share with the audience. For me personally, the processed stuff really triggers my GI during withdrawal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're not designed to eat all those chemicals and um, you know all the preservatives. I just just read one of the preservatives that is just so awful for us. And now I, I forgot the name of it, but um, yeah, just, we need the whole stuff. And, and we do have to remember this, that all animal products, the eggs, the dairy, and the flesh cause inflammation in our body. So what happens is, you know, you eat, you eat your toast with butter on it. Maybe you've got some scrambled eggs or, you know, bacon, whatever. And so then your immune system wakes up and it's got to go put this fire out. So it takes about four or five hours for the immune system to do that. And then the immune system is done and it kind of glows. Okay, now I can rest. And then what happens? <laughs> and about five hours or so later, we eat another meal that's got animal something in it. And there right. goes the immune system. Right, so. Right. We keep the immune system in this chronic state of, of use when in fact it needs some rest, just like our digestive system. We need, you know, we need to go like 12 hours that, you know, that whole idea of intermittent fasting. We need to give even our digestive system and our gut microbiome, we need to give everything a rest so we can get rid of the inflammatory foods and you know, give that or give the immune system a rest. And I think that's so important when our body is already in overdrive in benzo withdrawal. Right, right. I think I got that down. I think I don't eat anything past 8 p.m. That's kind of my thing. I, mm -hmm. I had that before benzo withdrawal. And I did a little, I mean, I, I, I had no clue about benzodiazepines, but I did do a little bit of research when I wanted a healthier lifestyle about these conservatives like glucose, fructose, all that stuff, how bad that is. So I, I do, I, I was avoiding those already. Um, but then, you know, there's so many, we really have to pay attention to what we eat. That is really what I've learned in the past years already before benzo withdrawal. Um, but it's, it's sometimes challenging to find whole foods and affordable and especially these times. Um, but it, it is, it's worth it. It's worth it because you will feel better in my opinion, if you eat healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. You can go to McDonald's and, you know, I have no idea what they cost now, but yeah, I mean, processed food is you know, fast food's usually cheaper, but the way I look at it is I might be paying more upfront now to eat a healthier diet, but I'm going to save money in the end because I'm not going to be shelling out money on all these healthcare needs because I've got all these chronic diseases. Definitely. And if we, if, yeah, if we can eat with our gut in mind, it's, it's important to know that about 70% of our immune system is birthed in our gut and you know resides there and 90 percent of serotonin is made in the gut and about 30 different neurotransmitters are created in the gut we are truly only as healthy as our gut and our gut also the gut microbiome determines our genetic expression so you know genes kind of bad metaphor but it's a good visual genes load the gun but then our gut microbiome or you know our gut pulls the trigger. So you can have some horrific genetic, you know, um, predispositions, 
But if you eat a healthy diet and you take care of your gut, you're stacking the cards in your favor that those genes don't get switched on. Right, right. Well, thank you for that. Um, maybe slightly off topic, and uh, maybe you know a thing or two about this. I don't, um, but I've actually had women approach me um, about benzo withdrawals, and um, I do know that it can mess up with the hormones and the, the cycle. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you know anything on how to maybe tackle that? Oh, it's a great question. And I did post a blog recently on uh, the really extensive information on women's women's health issues from hormones to incontinence to, you know, UTIs and the and interstitial cystitis and um, pelvic floor dysfunction. So there's a lot of things that can that can kind of go off the rails down yonder, so to speak. I don't know. I don't know exactly what causes the hormonal issues in benzo withdrawal, but I know that they happen. I had to have my uterus removed in my late thirties. And I've talked to so many other people because there was nothing really wrong with it. Um, and I've talked to other women that had the exact same thing. So there is a consensus in the community that, that there are unnecessary hysterectomies directly related to benzodiazepine use but a lot of women will feel that their ovulation times or their menstruation times will make symptoms get worse now i was in my early 50s i have no idea where i was if i was i'm, I'm sure i was definitely premenopausal i might even been menopausal not having a uterus anymore i didn't have periods so i had no way to know uh, so I didn't have I didn't have those wild fluctuations, but we know that some women do, and some doctors want to put women on birth control pills to try to smooth things out. And then if they're older, of course, they want to recommend you know HRT hormone replacement therapy, and everybody's got to figure out what they think is best for them. But I can say this: I have had so many women that are that were that were put on you know hrt and are now trying to get off of it and trying to get off progesterone for some women is almost as bad as trying to get off a benzodiazepine because it works on gaba so you know keep that in in your mind if somebody is suggesting hrt um you know if I just think that we need to be educated so that we can make decisions because partly or mostly we got into this situation with benzo withdrawal because nobody told us, nobody, nobody educated us so that we, we could determine, do we want to take that risk or not? So mm -hmm. I think that it's really important that women understand at least about HRT. I, I truly don't know what the trigger is. Um, but I just know that, that it happens. And I know that, women can have really big changes. Maybe they stop um, menstruating or they menstruate much later in their cycle or much earlier in their cycle. They can develop, you know, horrific cramping and bleeding. It's, there's so much that we don't know about what these drugs do to the body. Right. And right. there's no research that I'm aware of that's going on now because there's no money in it. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Like these drugs have, have been on the market for so long. Yeah. Um, and still no research. It's a, it's a shame. It's a crime, um, in my opinion. Um, 
anyways, thank you for that. Um, are there any other projects that you're currently working on that you would like to share with the community? Oh yeah, thanks for asking. Yes, um, my course for the medical community, anybody in healthcare, you can be an acupuncturist, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist. And by the way, I have helped psychiatrists go through benzo withdrawal. I've helped a few internists um, and general practitioners go through benzo withdrawal. Um, so even the medical community gets caught up in this out of ignorance. So I have created a course for the medical or healthcare, any healthcare professional. It's a seven week in-depth course. Every lesson, there's a quiz, there's a final exam, and you've got to attend um, you know, my office hours. I really wanna make sure that people truly understand this. And if they successfully get through it, then they are going to be certified by me that they understand benzo withdrawal and they will get a cert embeddable certificate to put on their website, their social media, on their business card. And then I'm going to list their names under, um, you know, certified practitioners so that people who need whatever, you know, type of help they might need, at least they're going to hopefully be able to interact with somebody that is benzo wise. So at least they won't be doing more harm to them. So that's rolling out relatively soon. Very excited. I am working that's great. on- great. We really need that. We really oh, do. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to do this for years and um, it's just, it's it's been a huge labor of love and uh, yeah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours put into it, but I'm, really excited that it's almost here. And now I'm working on a course called Healing with Love, and that will be for anybody. You don't have to necessarily be in benzo withdrawal, but, and I don't exactly know how long it will be. I'm still finding my way through it. Um, but it will be a deep focus on that fourth cornerstone of well-being. Those four cornerstones, by the way, are eat right, move enough, stress less, and love well. And love well isn't, just feeling love, which is a wonderful thing, but it's actually being love in the world. And there's a list of ways of being kind of like the, the spiritual or philosophical way of, of navigating life. And, and when we do that, when we put those things into practice, it grows two pro-social regions in our brain, one in particular, uh, the, the prefrontal cortex, and one in particular inside of that called the ventromedia prefrontal cortex. And that allows us to be mentally healthy and happy. And then it kind of cascades down in the physical and, and all sorts of ways. So I'm working on healing with love, which will be a deep dive into polyvagal theory and um, safety and uh, just all those things, you know, growing those regions of the brain and whatnot. And I'm really excited about that. I don't know how long it'll take me to finish creating that course, but um, I'm working on that. I'm also offering consulting to any healthcare professional who is working with a benzo patient and they don't know what the best practices are. They can hire me and I will help educate them around their client. I have my support group, which I just love. It's called Heal with Dr. Jen. And it's, it's, it's just wonderful. We meet three times a week live and I people direct message me. And so I check my direct messages about three times a day. So I do a lot of hand holding, but we focus on the solutions and I'll do little presentations and make slides and it's kind of a workshop discussion. Uh, it's pretty in depth. And there's a, there's a, um, 
system data bank in there that I don't I don't believe there's anywhere else in the in the world that's like it. So if you can, if there's a little code and you type it in and say like you want to know everything about insomnia and it will go, the little spiders will go out into the into the Ethernet and pull up everything that I've written about or other legitimate sources about benzos and insomnia. And then here's how you cope with it. So I love that that's available and I'm blogging a lot more right now. One, I just really want to show up better for the community, but also those blogs then go into that specific data bank as well. So I'm now blogging. I was blogging three times a week um, because I've got so many other irons to the fire. Now it'll just be Mondays and Fridays, new blogs coming out. I am doing more on Instagram and LinkedIn and everybody's been asking me to do my own podcast and you've kind of inspired I was, me. I was, I was so, almost at one. I wanted to say it after the show. I'm like, you need to, you need to get your own podcast series. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I've just hired someone to help me put the, you know, cause all the technical ends up, I just don't have the time. I, you know, I coach four days a week. I've got my support group. I'm I would have creating all these courses. Free again. What? <laughs> I would have taught you for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we 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 can talk, but um, it's <laughs> yeah. it's called it's called Heal with Dr. Jen, and it's going to be all about healing all those four cornerstones of well being. The focus, a large part, will be for the benzo community, but I really want other people that need healing to really um, to really be able to get something out of it because I, as I said earlier, I just didn't heal from benzo withdrawal. I healed from childhood sexual abuse, from emotional abuse, from, you know, all sorts of things. And if you look at my life and, um, and I've been very open about it and sometimes I have a vulnerability hangover after I share it, but, I have been a self mutilator. I was a cutter. I had anorexia. I've, you know, I abused drugs and alcohol. I've looked for love in all the wrong places. I've been promiscuous looking for, um, you know, validation and acceptance. I, I really struggled with my emotional well being for most of my life because of the, all the trauma that had gone on in my life. And I'm healed. I am, I am 65. I'm not as pretty as I used to be. I'm not as strong as I used to be. Aging is a real thing, but I you am truly, oh, well, you're very sweet, but he, aging is a real thing. And, and I embrace it wholeheartedly. What you see is what you get, but I'm just saying I am the best version of me ever. I love the peace and serenity I have. I love my sobriety. I love that I can navigate really scary things in life because I've got 93 year old parents um, and I've got four children and six grandchildren. And some of them have some chronic um, health problems. One is autistic. So I, you know, I've got, I've got the natural stressors that we all have in life, but I have all these tools and I have a healthy gut and I have a healthy body and I'm able to navigate my life filled with hope and joy and peace and curiosity and purpose and meaning and serenity. Um, and if you had told me in my thirties that I would be able to do this, I would have never believed you. I never thought that I could have any type of a semblance of kind of peace and calm unless 
I swallowed that pill every night or I, you know, threw back quite a few glasses of wine. Right. Well, I, I think it's beautiful. I think you're an amazing person. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, I always ask all my guests if they would have one specific thing. I mean, there's many things, but one specific thing in terms of advice for people currently listening in Benzo Withdrawal. Really explore and learn about the four cornerstones of well-being. They're on my website under the resource page. They are what any human being has for their basis of health. Grab a hold of those, embrace them, because inside of those four cornerstones are healing in so many levels, like the fourth cornerstone will help you understand, you know, or the third cornerstone will help you understand how to work with your nervous system. It'll help you understand like how to just observe those negative thoughts and feelings that say, you know, you're not going to heal. Those four cornerstones, eat right, move enough, stress less, love well, they work synergistically together and they are the fountain of everything that's good. And just that's what I just keep wanting to share with the world and everything that I do. So yeah, go check out the four cornerstones of well-being. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and we'll be in touch. Thank you. I so appreciate this opportunity. And you please keep being the light that you are and keep glowing and touching people's lives and sharing hope and healing and in the way that you do, because we need you in this community. So thank you oh, for thank all you so that much. you do for our community. And thank you. You're welcome. Okay, bye bye. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash